Hey, welcome everyone. This is Dan with the Spiritual Underground Podcast coming to you as always from my little wood shop in my backyard uh, under the umbrella of DTM Enterprises. Uh, DTM Woodwork and Handyman runs around the Louisville metropolitan area. Uh, you can contact me at uh, 502-292-7444 if you want any handyman or woodworking stuff in the, in the, in the Louisville metropolitan area. What an evening. What a fall. Hell. What a year it has been, and here we are at, I think, December the 15th. We've got half a month left of this uh, crazy 2020 year, and uh, we'll see what what changes. You know, you think of a year ago sitting, you know, as Christmas was coming up a year ago, you wouldn't have had any idea, no idea, that 2020 was going to turn out to be the year that it was. Uh, I say over and over again, though, that, man, I am thankful for having these 12 steps in my life as I navigated 2020. Um, you can certainly see a difference in the world of, of people that, that have some type of operating principles and, and those that don't when, uh, when the tourniquet gets tightened like it has this year. 12-step uh, spiritual recovery would help a lot of people when they're uh, trying to navigate what we're navigating today. 12-Step Spiritual Recovery is a book by James Christopher Cohn. It lays out the 12 steps for anybody. You do not have to be an addict, alcoholic, or any of the other isms. Uh, There's some hundred fellowships using the 12 steps to get better. And, uh, And you had to fit in one of those pockets in order to access these tools in the past. And what we're trying to do here is... uh, uh, cut the pockets off and just let anybody come harness these tools who may want to have try some new way of living. Uh, if it works for millions of others, the alcoholics and addicts and some of the worst people on earth, so to speak, maybe it would help you too. You can get that book on Amazon. You'll be wanting to look for 12-Step Spiritual Recovery by James Christopher Cohn. There's a Kindle version out there. There's a Volume 1 and Volume 2. And I really hesitate to give... Uh, uh, advice or point a person in direction here but man the Kindle is a way to go because you can read it at your leisure um, other than that and this is this is my opinion um, not those of the program or the author not necessarily uh, or buy volume one and uh, and check it out I also have a couple podcasts where a few chapters I read them so you can find those on here too if you just want to get a taste of it uh, through audio by listening to those few chapters I read. Um, but buy volume one and uh, start coming to our meetings. You go to 12stepspiritualrecovery.com. You can find out when we have meetings or Zoom. You can be living anywhere in the world and access these meetings. So we'd love to have you. It's a growing movement. And I uh, just wanted to get those commercials out of the way. I do want to give Darren Frank credit for the music that's played at the beginning and end of this podcast. Uh, and I can't help but think about Jesse every time, too, in memorial, the man who produced that music. <sighs> it's way too early to be sighing. So, we'll get to the business at hand today. Uh, my friend at the other end of the table tonight might be able to tell me how we met better than I can say. Uh, all I know, I remember uh, uh, meeting somebody um, and the audio and the video didn't match. I wasn't expecting the British-type accent one bit. 
uh, have a beautiful voice, and then uh, you know it's kind of like those are, you know, and it is it's 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 judgmental and discriminatory and 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 um, what else prejudiced prejudging, uh, but that definitely made me remember because I wasn't expecting I just wasn't expecting that voice to come out. Um, did we meet TSSR? Uh, I kind of thought that was the case. So uh, my guest tonight is Esther, Esther O. Uh, and we did meet, like she said, in TSSR. Uh, I don't want to. Uh, I would. I, I'm having a feeling to like jump into telling her story, but I, I'm not going. I'm going. I'm going to hold back from that. Uh, I didn't tip you off and tell you what I usually tip people off. And the first question I'm going to ask you is your sobriety date june 13th 2019 2019 so uh a year and a half or so yeah 18 months since someplace in that neighborhood congratulations yeah. for okay. that Thank you. Uh, it's been a hard-earned one right yeah yeah <laughs> um so full disclosure i currently sponsor esther uh she's uh Wednesday night, this pa- or this past Monday night, two days before this recording on a Wednesday night, Esther and I sat down at this very podcast table and we read through page 164 of the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book, which means uh, Esther has read the book with a sponsor and worked the steps and is now... Uh, currently practicing these principles and, and placing these tools and principles into her daily life. Uh, that's huge. That is super huge. Uh, just There's just not a lot of people that do that in and out of the rooms. Uh, so congratulations for finishing. You know, I know this is a lifelong thing. Don't nitpick and not you, the people out there nitpick when I say done or, you know, completed. Uh, we do all know that this is a continuation of that. But to make that first trip through the work, uh, is is uh, is a beautiful thing. So thank you for allowing me to take you through that work. Well, thank you very much for taking me through it. And thanks for being by my side today. And thank you for coming and doing the podcast tonight, too. <laughs> We're uh, You didn't grow up around here, did you? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Where were you born? I was born in Nairobi, Kenya. Nairobi, Kenya. Mm-hmm. How was growing up there? It was all right. It was, it was okay. Um, I was born in the city, so um, it was just, it's fine. Just, I'd say middle class or something. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> I don't even have a picture in my mind what uh, Nairobi, Kenya would look like. Does it look like this with neighborhoods? And yes, yes, definitely I neighborhoods. Mean, um, and we have this the CB, the Central Business District, which is, I would say, it's bigger than Louisville. Uh-huh. You know, lots of lots of big buildings and uh, it's the capital. Yeah, it's the capital. It's bigger, and um, I think there's about, if I would just guess, about four million people in Nairobi. Really. Yeah, and uh, it's a big city then. It's busy. It's always busy, whatever hour of the day it is. Um, yeah, it's a big city. 
Uh, let's see how Nairobi. How do you spell it? N a i r o b i. Nairobi. Capital. Mm-hmm. Come on, go a little faster than that. Dead air <laughs> don't work. We'll do. I see the big podcasters have got somebody that'll do this googling for them while we're talking. I need to get me one of them people that sits over here and does that. <laughs> Capital of the largest city of Kenya. Name comes from a Maasai phrase. Translates to cool water. The city proper had a population of 4.4 million people in the 2019 census. And the metropolitan area has a population of 9.4 million people. <laughs> Crazy. So, uh, mom and dad, when you together when you were little? Uh, so, yeah, when I was born, my parents were together. But then, I don't know, when I was still very young, I don't remember. Uh, we lived, my mother uh, and us lived with my grandmother and my dad. Um, I think it was just mostly financial issues. So we had to live with my grandmother and uh but then we got back when I was about, I want to say maybe 10, 9, 10, around. We got back together as a family, been living together since then. Yeah. Yeah, but when we were not living together, my dad would come to see us almost every day. He was working on the road, right? Is that what my understanding was? Or no, 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 no. Off? He was just working in the city. Okay. But um, just, you know, financial hardships, we couldn't live together. So, but he would... You know, taking care of us, paying school fees, and helping yeah. all that. Brothers and sisters? I have two brothers, an older brother and a younger brother. Ah. Yeah. Are they here? No, they're, they're there. Home. Yeah. Yeah. Um, any kind of remembering about school? Did you do well in school? Did you? I did. Like, <laughs> I would think so. You're... I did. I did do well. Um, yeah, I mean, I had to study and all that, but I, I did well, you know. Um, yeah, uh, in my primary school exams, I I performed well, which in turn helped me get into a be- into one of the better schools performance wise in high school. And I did, I think I did pretty well too in high school. I, yeah. I did pretty well in high school. Yeah, yeah. I would think, I, I would think so. Mm-hmm. So, um, did you start drinking while you was over there? No, no, when what I was the, here. So, so in normal, you graduated high school there? Yes, I did. And I finished high school in... Um, any things of note happen over there? Um, Not really. In terms of drinking, not really. I or was, anything else, you know, any kind of life-changing moments or... Uh, nothing these, really, because I was in a boarding school in high school all four years. Pretty so. protected. Yeah, I was, and during the holidays, I wouldn't do anything. Like, I would hear other people saying they got together over the holidays, but I would just pretty much sit at home, eat, and just watch cartoons or whatever. Just yeah. sit at home. I just I just had no interest because I was with these people all three months. <laughs> Why would I want to spend more time with them? So yeah. I, I was just pretty much, I guess, uh, what is it called? Um protected i kind of did it to myself it's not like my yeah. parents were over i just kind of just had no interest i just sat at home and so when i finished high school in november december um so we our results don't come out until like february for the national exam 
and then you don't get to start uh, university until the next year. So, but in between January and July, um, my mom enrolled me in a university to just take some basic computer classes because we didn't take those at all. And uh, so between uh, January and sometime in June or something, I um, I was going to university, which is a day. It was a I just commuted daily, and then and then in as a July, I came here. I came to the U.S., so mm-hmm. I didn't spend a lot of my adult life in Kenya. Yeah, so like July, you're what would be like your freshman year of university. Yes. So first year of university, then you moved. Then you moved here. Yes. So how did all that play out? How did you go to like decide uh, to move here? Because I guess because my aunt went to college here in Iowa. She went to college there, and um, she was like, you know, she told my mom instead of me waiting a whole year doing nothing at home. <laughs> which is probably a good thing, I can just come. Because it was much, it was really easy for the application to get in because I had good grades and she was an alumni there, so it was really easy for me to, I didn't have to do any exams or any tests to get into the school and uh, or any English classes or anything like that. So my parents were okay with that instead of wasting a whole year doing nothing. So So the main reason was to come here and get an education? Yes. Could you speak English? You did. Yeah, we, we speak English from... Yours, that's your basic language, right? It's our national language. It is like, so but it's, it's got the British twist on it. Yeah, because Kenya was a British colony. Yeah. Is there, an, is there another language that's... So English is our national language, and Swahili, too, is our... It also became, I think, our national language, and official did you language. Did Swahili? Swahili. I don't know anything about it. I just know that word. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the national language, so I think everybody speaks it. Can you and, speak some of it? Yeah, I do speak it. Everybody speaks it. It's because we all have those different tribes in different languages. Yes, uh-huh. It's the one that gets us all together. Ah. Can you speak a little of it now? What do you want me to Is say? Is it hard? What do you want me to say? Nobody will know what you're saying, just to hear, just to get a feel for the dialect. Say something to me. Um. I don't have to know it. It just feels weird. It's just talking. Yeah, you don't myself. have to. Oh, let me see. Um, uh, Asante sana kuni kuni pahi opportunity. I don't know something yeah, like that. Okay. I but, just well, get a feel is, for it, you know. Yeah, if I, I grew up in the city, so we don't speak like the you know the proper Swahili. We mix it up with yeah. English and slang and everything. Yeah. So. Not a good example of Swahili. Well, thank you for doing that. <laughs> I know it's outside of your comfort zone, so uh, I just wanted to get a flavor for what the language sounds like. You know, you One get certain things. I've been a lot of places in the world and get to hear what Korean people, you know, what they what their dialect and their cadence sounds like, and Thai and um, I don't know Turkish, and been a lot of places and. Maybe one of these days I'll answer my phone or call my brother. He can hear it. Because I talk to my brothers in Swahili. But, but then with my mom, I speak her language with her, which is Kamba, which is her tribe. She's from she's Kamba, so I speak Kamba with her. Oh, do you? So yeah. that's three languages you know. Yeah. I, I really don't know my dad's language. I mean, I can kind of understand what they're talking about, but I just never had the opportunity. Yeah. I mean, I tried during school holidays when we'd go to my grandmothers and my cousins and... I tried, I just, I just have very basic knowledge of it, but I can kind of follow through a conversation. 
Yeah, yeah. But I do speak my mom's language fluently. It uh, reminds me of me sponsoring Vlad, and he's Russian. Mm-hmm. And he would answer the phone when his mom called and shift into Russian. Yeah. You know, and I mean, just on a dime, you know, you'd be, he's sitting here talking to me about, you know, working the steps or doing this stuff or whatever. And he says, oh, man, that's my mom. I got to take it. Boom, straight up into Russian. It's and then he hangs cool. up the phone and he starts talking to me. You know, I'm like, that is really cool. It is pretty cool, especially like when we we would be with my cousins and my grandmothers, but I wanted to talk to my brother and tell him something. I would switch to Kamba because oh, my cousins you? were kissy and I don't want them to hear that everyone around it. So it's kind of interesting. I'd switch to that yeah. when we were kids. It's, and I, I remember growing up, I didn't want my mom speaking Kamba to me because it's, you know, all the cool kids don't talk oh. their native. But now I really appreciate it. Yeah. I really do. Yeah, it's interesting. It uh, turned into a, uh, uh, well, it influenced, it had an influence that what, you know, how your mom was talking to you, what yeah. language she used, and we form a judgment about that. Very cool. So uh, when you came, and I guess your aunt could kind of sponsor you in a sense here, is that, or was there none of that? Did you just filled out application and yeah, went she, wham, bam. Yeah, just application. When I would just, that have been? Oh, Do you remember what year it is? 2007. 2007. 13 years ago or so. Yeah. Yeah, it, no, just filled applications. I just uh, stayed with her. I yeah. lived with her. Yeah, in Iowa? Mm-hmm. So you came here to start going to school in Iowa? Yeah. How did that go? What happened there? I mean, it was all right. I, I went to school... Um, Changed my majors around a couple of times. Could decide what you wanted to do. Yeah, I mean, I wanted to do medicine, but it was bloody expensive, man. And I was paying out of pocket. You know, converting can you shillings to American dollars a lot of money. There is no yeah. way. Uh, I don't. I don't know if my parents just didn't understand how expensive it would be to go through medical school, paying out of pocket. So I tried changing around and. Uh, yeah, so I didn't end up doing that. I started that for a few semesters of pre-med, but I uh, switched it up. I was going to go back to it, but no. I don't know why. I guess I was doing it because everybody thought I would be a doctor or something. Really? And I was like, sure, because I didn't know what the heck I wanted to do. Right, so yeah. I was like, okay, let's do this. And I just like... Whatever direction the wind is blowing. Yeah, all, I mean, I still don't that, know so. what I want to do either, but I have a rough idea. But yeah. I don't know. How was college? Did you get along fine? Didn't you acclimate? I mean, you've come from a foreign country halfway around the world and land in Iowa, of all places, and begin uh, to assimilate. To yeah, I'll tell you, it was boring as hell, though. Boring? It was, because I came from a city, and Iowa is just country. It's just corn, and... Yeah, Iowa may not have as many people in it as Nairobi. <laughs> no, it was a, it was a bit depressing. I remember crying like those first few days or months. Just, just homesick. Yeah, it was depressing. It's like even more boring than in the country with my grandmother. It was just a different country because back on those people walking around, you can just go outside, go to the shop, and just come back. It's just it's nothing. It's just Staying in the house and either you're commuting and back, there's nothing in between. It was. But college was okay. Um, Did you actually go, what school did you go to? University of Northern Iowa. 
of Northern Iowa. Yeah. No, University of Northern Iowa. Yeah, you and I, <laughs> which is funny. <laughs> but um, what's funny? It's funny because I remember getting the letters from you and I, and they're like, "Welcome to you and I," which I didn't know it was you and I. I thought it was "Welcome to Uni,", uni. and I was like, "Doesn't this Uni have a name?" Because yeah. we call it Unis back up. Like this Uni doesn't have a name. <laughs> Until actually, when I get to, got to North, the university, I was like, "Oh, it's you and I." Yeah, it's a, <laughs> abbreviation. I didn't, I didn't put the two together, but um, college. It was it was alright. It's just. I mean, I, I still am, but I was just quiet, shy. Um, it was just hard to make friends for me. Um, I mean, I tried, I, I, you know, acquaintances, <laughs> about friends, acquaintances. Um, mm. It was just hard because I, I feel like other people came to college, you know, they knew each other from high schools mm -hmm. or whatever, and they would hang out there. Like... After class, everyone would get up and leave. I'm like, when do people make friends here? When do you sit down and talk? And the thing, I wasn't living on campus, so I didn't have, there's like no All opportunity to meet, to interact with these people. So it kind of sucked. I don't know. And then um, I guess I tried doing the international students thing. So that was kind of nice. You know, I would try and get into their events and all that and once in a while go to their parties or whatever and other Kenyan students or other African students and but I just I just didn't feel like I was part of it and I thought maybe because I'm never with these people I'm always off campus I live like 15 minutes away from school so you know if they have impromptu things and I just That's I just me. never it was just, I feel like it was such a struggle to make friends. I knew a few people and that was it pretty much. And yeah. Did you, uh, so you didn't really go out with people at night and weekends and did? I, I did a little bit, yeah, once in a while. Um. Because I would think it would be, you know, and again, i got a different perspective and you com completely different from you, but I would think that it would like, you know, that you would like kind of get uh, not really sucked into, but that a, a vacuum would happen to where when you're not doing anything and other people are, I would start drifting and figuring out what what are people doing on Friday night. Well, actually, when I first moved, my aunt, who I was living with, because we grew up in the same home with my grandmother, so she's not that old. She felt more like her cousin. Cousin, you know. So we were actually she first time I went out it was with her, and it was nice. So I used to go out with her, you know. But I lived with her for like a semester or something, and then she moved. Hmm. So, so yeah, I did go out with her a couple of times, and I did go out, you know, and drink and have fun. A few times and just something wasn't something that drew you in. You no, were... I mean, not really. No, I just didn't feel like I fit in there, or I don't know what it was. I, I, when I went, I enjoyed it, but um, 
or like when we had like the African students events and we would go, I just didn't feel like I fit in there or something. I just felt like they were already established friendships and it was hard to penetrate those friendships. But once in a while I would go and um, I remember one semester I actually sat down and wrote in my journal my plans for that for the next few months is to get out and make more friends and, and I actually did it. Oh, did you? I did it. Like, I remember getting invited to these house parties and taking all these pictures with people and having fun at these parties. I don't know what that was, but I just did it. Because at that time, I remember I was living alone, but I sat down with my journal and wrote it down. I wrote, you know, bullet points, and I that was, I don't remember what semester it was, but it was fun. And I did that, and I got out there. And that's how I made one of my really good friends who was my friend throughout my time there. But, well, I mean, it wasn't the worst experience of my life, but um, I feel like other people had more fun in college, have more fun stories in college. And, um, yeah. Yeah, I heard a couple of things he said. One of them was uh, was the old bell ringer. I did hear you use these words words that you felt you had trouble feeling like you could fit in. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody says that at the other end of this table. Yeah, it's a unique uh, or not a unique. It's a very uh, common statement here uh, because the alcohol allowed me to begin to think that I was uh, I was able to uh, fit in. It started making me feel like I could fit in. And uh, you also said how you set forth a vision through journaling and had a had a action you were doing that's saying, okay, I'm going to do this, and you did it. Mm-hmm. You know, we still do that. Uh, that's a powerful tool that I don't think I use enough. I keep on getting um, – at times in my recovery, I'll get this message over and over again. It'll be one thing or another, and it's happened in other things. And here the last few days, I keep on getting this message about journaling, and it's not something I've ever done. Mm-hmm. And uh, here you brought it again, and I know yeah, I, what that is. What I know that to be today is my higher power tapping me on the shoulder, telling me to pay attention to a particular tool that I'm not co- currently using. Mm-hmm. So uh, the other thing I know to do today is to listen to that voice. So... You manifested these friends and is having a good time by writing in your journal. I need to get out and meet some friends. Yeah. Uh, and it happened. And I actually started journaling in my first year in high school because when I was going off to boarding school, my aunt gave me this big journal. And I had never journaled before that, but I started doing that and it really helped me through high school. It yeah. really did. Do you journal today? No, I haven't in a long time, but I do have a journal. I probably did it a few months ago, but not every, because it got to a point where I remember looking back at one of my old journals and reading and feeling that sadness I was feeling that time. Mm. And I was like, oh, maybe I'm just going to journal positive things from now on. But then that doesn't work because it was a way of me releasing everything there. So I just stop writing or but a few months ago I don't remember what exactly happened but I had to write it down it, it was so much I took the journal and sat down and wrote it and because when I sit down I write so much too mm. it's so I kind of try to avoid it because uh, I know I'll be writing like 10 pages yeah but you know, you, 
might want to think about allowing yourself some time to get that back into your life. Uh, I know a lot of people who do a lot with journals, and and I'm I'm here I'm hearing you, God. Uh, so in college, you graduate, you do well. Did you? Um. So I. I ended up taking classes at the community college because I decided to, someone actually told me, you know, before you invest all this in medicine, maybe try nursing and um, see how you like it, if you like the medical field at all. So that's what I did. I took classes both at the university and the community college and ended up finishing with the community college. With a degree in with in with an associates in nursing. In nursing. Where to go then? What? Where'd you go then? Did you start working in there? Did you keep on going to school? Did you? I so I tried actually. Um, that was a few years later because I told you I spent some years there, changing, deciding what to do. So that was. You got a two-year degree in five years or something? Yes, exactly, exactly, in like seven years, actually. Yeah. But uh, um, the, so I after that, I actually studied my BSN, and I registered for classes. I bought all the textbooks, and I just couldn't go to class. I just, I think it was just depression. I was just... In this dark depression, I just and sober. I mean, I mean, you were I drinking mean, I would some, drink, but, but you weren't not, not alcoholically. Yeah, and I would just so the alcohol wasn't having a direct effect on you not going. To, when I started going, dropped going to college, it was because I was drinking too much. And no, no, even I don't think that was the alcohol. That was just that was before the disease got a hold of you. Yeah, now, maybe it, it was when it was first tickling on you. You know, before it really picks up as the actual drinking thing, because that. Alcoholism looks a lot like depression. Yeah, and I think after, you know, yeah, I ended up dropping or failing that semester and uh, and then took up alcohol. alcohol. <laughs> I mean, I had started drinking before that, but, yeah, I had drunk some before that, yeah. like an unhealthy way. Like I, At times. It would help to, you know, sleep or it would... And from going out with some friends, because at some point I actually did make friends that I would spend, and I would like, I made good friends actually that I would spend days with. Yeah. And um, so if we were going out, like I would actually, you know, that's when I remember drinking, but it wasn't as the past few years. So but it was just some depression, and and I think after a few months of that, I started medicating with alcohol. And, uh, yeah, and I just, yeah. In Iowa? Mm-hmm. So you just started drinking more and more, or what did Yeah, that, because what? I had dropped out of classes, out of school, and um, I was just sitting at home with no plan for the future, which was scary, too, yeah. and I wasn't working towards anything. I just didn't did you have know. a job? No, I just didn't know what to do, and... Uh, and you're living with... I was living with a boyfriend then. Uh-huh. And um, and so I would just spend the day watching TV. And, um, and then I just started drinking. 
And um, what'd you like to drink? Back then, I was I think tequila. Hmm. Yeah, because when I was having fun drinking in college, I used to drink tequila and the lime and the salt, and it tasted really good. I really loved the taste. So, yeah, that's what I drank a lot, actually. Tequila. Yeah. <laughs> I figure it's the same percentage of alcohol. Yep, right. it's just, yep. And I was, you know, I that's what I drank a lot. And I remember during that time is when I first ended up in hospital. And I'm I drinking too much. Yeah, I just remember one time I was downstairs and my boyfriend then was upstairs, and I remember I couldn't get off the the couch. Like I was like, I, like I had no energy. I didn't know what was going on, but I guess I hadn't eaten. Like, you know, given past history, I guess I. Had, and I was like, I need to go to a hospital, and um, that's the first time I went to hospital. And I boyfriend <laughs> take you to the hospital. Yeah, he took me to the hospital. Did he know why? No, he didn't know why. You uh, just told you just said you were sick. I just told, told him I wasn't feeling well. I was feeling weak. I could barely get up. So he just threw me some clothes downstairs. Well, gave me some clothes, and I we just went to the hospital. But you were drinking, and that was what was the matter. Yes, it was. <laughs> I was. And when the doctor came in, he asked him to leave, and then he came in. He was like, ah. Uh, yeah, you're drinking too much, you know. If you keep drinking like this, you're not going to make it to your 30s. Mm. And I was like, man. I was like, okay, I got some more years. <laughs> I yeah, got a few right. more years yeah. to go. <laughs> Good, I still have time. Yeah. Thanks, Doc. See you next time. Yeah, that's, uh, that's one of the... Lately, I've had a few people who are young walk into my life uh, sober or wanting to get sober. And uh, I had a 20-year-old guy call me out of the blue today and had met me in a meeting. He thinks it's been four or five years ago, and that was the only meeting he ever went to. Oh, wow. And he said, yep. And he said, I remembered you. I remembered I had your number, and uh, I'm looking for help. And, you know, it's just awful hard to get sober early. Yeah. <laughs> no matter what the consequences are. Uh, I hope this guy, you know, I hope we're all of them do, but I have a special place in my heart. Last week, uh, Bo was here, and I don't know if you know Bo, but it's a, there used to be a TV commercial or something. Do you know Bo? I think back then it was Bo Jackson, the athlete. Bo was in here, and he got sober at 18. He's now 20, so he's got two <laughs> years of sobriety under his belt at age 20 and is wow. working these tools and changing the trajectory of what his life would have been had he not because it was obvious when you're hitting the wall at 18 something is wrong it's impressive and yeah and so i kind of as funny as that sounds is i wish more people would hit the wall at 18 you know then they get the rest of their lives to operate the way i get to operate today have a serene peaceful happy joyous and free all those kind of words in in my life instead of wreckage and hangovers and police records and <laughs> things like that yeah what happened after the, the hospital stay uh i mean i went back and just kept on drinking i mean i was scared for a little bit because they put me in the icu and i was like oh no i you know i called my aunt and she like drove overnight you know her and her husband and i was like okay you know i was scared for a little bit but I don't think it lasted too long. Yeah. Just 
when Buck, like, you just know. Just had a bad night. Hmm? Or, you know, it was just a bad event, you know. Sometimes that happens. Yeah, I'm sure I came like up said, with some reasons. You hadn't ate anything, I heard you say. Yeah. You know, so we can always throw it, oh, well, you know, I'll, I should eat while I'm drinking. Yeah. That'll fix that. Yeah, but who wants to do that? You, yeah. It takes so much longer to get drunk, you know, yeah. but... Um, yeah, I would always look at things and like I would have a DUI and think I needed to, you know, and I, and I got pulled over for a brake light and I said, well, you know, I need to be taking better care of my car. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, I got it. And I think I got another hospitalization where they had to transfer me there to the University of Iowa hospitals because I guess it was, it was pretty bad. I think the alcohol just... I don't know if it's because I'm just small, but I remember it was my blood work was so terrible <laughs> because when my blood work came back, the doctor came back with like seven other people behind him peeking through the door to see mm. who is this person with his results. Like, you know, and they're like, no, we have to transfer you. And I'm like, okay, well, maybe I can ride with my boyfriend. They're like, no, we cannot let you go. So they wanted to transport you to a... They did transport me with an ambulance about an hour, 15 minutes away. To another hospital, yeah, more, to a bigger hospital, better, bigger better equipped hospital. to deal yes. with your condition. Yes. and uh, yeah, That's always a definitely a door ringer there, bell ringer there for you. They had to, this hospital can't take care of you. You're in bad shape. Yeah. It was... I don't know. I, I Did don't, it ever dawn on you that, I mean, at that point in time, were you even thinking about, like, that's the alcohol? No, no, because I was, I think I was also kind of just shocked, too. Like, oh, no. <laughs> I don't know. Would you like a bottle of water? Yes, please. I have Thank you. recently kept room temperature water on hand here because Esther... <laughs> Asking for making requests when she comes over. We've been uh, a little, on a little push to get to the end of the book, not a push, but uh, a mission. And uh, we've done that. And I asked her if she wants to go, if she wants water, and she asked if I have it room temperature. <laughs> so now I do. Thank you. Yeah. So I didn't. Uh, I don't think I really thought about the alcohol. I guess I was also just caught up. Like, oh, what is it? You know. Um, and then because they kept doing all these tests and they kept doing all these tests, so many tests, I remember that, that one day when they transferred me there, they had me go do the stress test and, and what they concluded was that I had this condition called melas, mitochondrial encephalopathic, um, lymphatic acidosis syndrome, something. Well, that's a lot of letters. <laughs> And uh, I was like, well, well, it might be alcohol, but then there probably is something else that's making the alcohol have such an effect on me. So yeah. they were running true, right? all these genetic tests. And um, so actually they ended up giving me a letter that they were like, if you ever go to an emergency room, you need to present this letter. Because what they, they were saying it was, um, I might look okay, but on the inside... I'm deteriorating pretty fast. Hmm. So if I go to the emergency room, they might keep me out there. But like I think that one time when they did my test, they're like, how are you still conscious or something like that, you know? So I remember I had that for a while and I was, I think I was scared for a while. But uh, I was scared because, oh, maybe I might have this thing. I just never put alcohol in there. I just thought the alcohol might trigger it. So I was going to just drink less. 
And then I remember I also used to get so dehydrated, the dehydration and all that. So there was a period of time where every once a week I would get IV infusions, like just to hydrate me. With, I don't remember if there's anything in the IV, but once a week I would go to the hospital. Get and rehydrated. S- yes. And yeah. were you continuing to drink then? Oh, you know, yeah, especially after they hydrated me. I was like, oh, or I'll be like, tomorrow I'm going to get hydrated, yeah. so let's do this. Well, I've know? heard, you know, like medical students and people who have the ability to do that to themselves yeah. or use that for a hangover helper, you know, exactly. get themselves There's rehydrated really quick. The banana bugs, yeah. So I would actually go to a point where I was like, I'm going to do that tomorrow so I can drink today. Ah, give you a reason. God damn, yeah. <laughs> Insanity is what we call that. <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. That is interesting. Yeah. So I thought I was safe. I can drink and just go do that tomorrow. Well, it, a lot of things make sense to us that don't make sense to a lot of other people. Um, so how'd that progress? What? How? Walk me through what? So uh, it just got, I just got more miserable and miserable and I was just doing nothing and and I guess my boyfriend then just got tired of it, too, because I had no future, no plans, nothing. So, And I remember my uncle here had always wanted me to come live in Louisville. He was always, especially when my aunt moved. And he's like, you know, so eventually I took him up on the offer. And because that relationship was also not working. And I was going to look for an apartment out there, but I was like, what am I going to do, live by myself out here, you know? So I took my uncle on the offer and I moved here. And when I moved here, I didn't know anybody here. I wasn't going to school. I wasn't working. There was no way of me meeting people. But uh, I kind of threw myself into meetups, meetup.com. Mm-hmm. And that's how I actually met a lot of people that I knew before really? I came into the program. A lot of people I met, I think everybody I met through meetup huh. because... Um, I think I was on a mission. When I moved here, I was like, I do need to, I need to put myself out there. Because I was like, man, I don't know anybody. I would get nervous, but I was like, I have to do this. And you've done this once before, just not so long ago when you got to Iowa going, hey, I need to get to know some people. Yes. So I was like, I have to. And someone had told me about Meetup. The Meetups in Iowa were like dead. They're all about moms and their kids and some nonsense i don't know but when i came here there was so many and they looked so active they had all the events like you could go to several meetups a week so i i kept postponing kept postponing eventually i just forced myself to one and i just showed up they had actually reservations but i just showed up and they had to squeeze in and throw a chair in there and and then that's how i just started meeting people Hmm. after that they invited me today they're having like a and after a little party, it's on one of the person's houses, and I sat there, talked to people, and then I went to another different meetup, met a few people there, put myself out there, talked to people. Just, I did, and started knowing people, and making, sh- and just pushing myself to go to, get out of my comfort zone, because I wasn't going to know anybody if I didn't do yeah, this. Yeah. And so, that worked, actually, that helped, and... That's a great attribute. Uh, <laughs> I could be wrong here, but I feel that uh, somewhat in recovery, you've had a 
tendency to not do that. And I see you and hear you talking about putting yourself out there now, trying to do the same thing again, create this. I think we all, we all desire some community around us, right? Yeah. We all want friends. Mm-hmm. And uh, I get a little bit of feeling that you're a little hesitant to do that in AA, but yet you're still doing it. Yeah, I, I think... Yeah, I w- like when I first started with AA, I felt like, you know, when we were going to meetings, regular meetings, I mean, I would see all these little cliques and all these people after the meetings, they would start talking to each other. I felt like it was just so hard to get into, get you in. know, penetrate these cliques. And yeah. I would just say hi to people, just, you know. And over time, I still wasn't really like, you know, them doing things together. I don't, I wasn't, I would just hear people doing things together. I just, it took me a long time to actually get to do things with other people. Like, you know, after a meeting, let's go do something. Uh, I don't know what a long time. It was probably several months because yeah. was, I just got a year not too long ago. But well, I see a real reserved took, Esther at times. I, that's the word know? I and then, use. And then I, other times, I see a really outgoing Esther. You know, and <laughs> yeah. I see those two uh, personalities trying to figure out who's going to win. And that's weird because sometimes I do feel like, Oh, why am I feeling like this? I am like, because I know I had, there are times when I just, I'm so enthusiastic and I just go out there and, uh, and sometimes I just don't have that push in me and I'm like, I'll just go home or, you know, but sometimes I'm like, all right, let's go do this, you know. But it took me a while to, actually what helped me is, um, um, so when the, when uh, the COVID hit, I, you know, I didn't go to meetings for a while, but I kept getting these text messages uh, about, which which also helped me was one of my first sponsors was pushing me to get a lot of people's numbers, women's numbers. Yeah. And and I'm actually kind of proud of myself because I did. <laughs> I, I would just, I was like, it feels awkward, but I would force myself to ask people for their numbers and I would take them. And I have called a bunch of them too. Um, but that helped. And then, so I would get some text messages about these meetings happening. And eventually I just got, I was like, I'm going to go and see. Surrendered. I'm going to go because, you know, it was, I don't, in the middle of summer and I went and I remember the first one I went to was, you know, it was huge. I was like, God, I don't know any of these people because I thought because I when I first started, I I went to so many meetings around Louisville, yeah. and I kind of knew some familiar faces. But this time I came in, I was like, Oh, yeah. what meetings do these people go to? I haven't seen these people, and uh, it was a bit intimidating. But I would just go take my lunch here, just sit in the back and just listen, and. Yeah. Um, well, let's back up a little bit and get back to when you moved here. Oh, sorry. And uh, that's okay. But we're missing that critical hit the bottom area oh, in people's oh, life, yes. you know. And uh, and sometimes I wonder if our personalities don't want to maybe want to like let's jump over that part. <laughs> uh, but you moved in at your uncle's. Yeah. And you did start meeting people through Meetup. Yes. And what happened? So that was all right, you know, and then. Like, we would go do things, and, you know, they were drinking, and 
socially, I would just drink socially. And then when I got home, that's when the party would start. And, you know, that's why I did most of my drinking. Because I just, I, you know, didn't want people seeing me drunk. I just didn't want to lose my respect, you know, respect in front of people. Yeah, so I would you just, still wanted to get drunk. I just, I would just drink enough for me to be able to drive back home and to still remember what I did. Yeah. There, I'm sorry. Moderate while you're out with these friends. Yes, and then when I got home, I was like, just need to keep drinking, you know. want to get that buzz, you know, just... So you get some liquor or always had it at home, or...? Oh, I would get it. I would get it on my way home. Yeah. And, um... And you're living in your uncle's, are you... What do you I was living a, in my uncle's, and, A um, bedroom that... So I was actually... Because uh, two of my uncle's kids were living with him when I moved here. or They had just actually come to this to the country and were living with him so i was sharing a bedroom with my cousin and um yeah i would just hide it and just drink it and especially at now when i got home people were like in bed or something so i would just just drink till you passed out or until you went to bed. Until I went to bed. <laughs> I always would tell myself I was asleep. I would drink until I went to bed. But most of the time, by the time well, I hit my bed, I was pretty much shot. Oh, and I, I mean, I would drink until I would go, I, you know, I would not pass out on the couch or anything. Right, just yeah. go to bed and pass out from yeah, there. Yeah. But, yeah. and Once I got my fill, it was okay. Do you think that was shutting stuff out? Was, like, the reason to come home and drink yourself the rest of the way out? To not have to think about things, to not have to. I don't know if I, you know, like I, I would go to these things, and not all of them were fun, you know. Like I would go, and I don't have to stay the entire time. I just wanted to go put myself out there, just see. And if it's boring, I would leave early, and I'm bored, or I didn't enjoy the experience. So I'm just gonna go home and have my own fun. And um, so that's one of the reasons I drank. Other times, I was just at home and bored. And I would just drink. Other times, like I told you, it would just be really cold. And there's nothing to do. I might as well warm myself up. Just yeah. take a shot and warm me up. And and um, just thinking. A lot of thinking. Just thoughts running through my mind. No idea in my head what I want to do with my life. What I'm going to do with my life. I'm not getting any younger. And, yeah, I'm uh, hearing like a depressive type of thing. Very, you just, very. You know, no, no direction. And when you have no direction and you know, you're living. No structure, you know, nothing. Yeah. Just waking up and. And uh, for a few hours every night, I could forget about that if I got loaded. Oh, yeah. When people, so when school was on, people, my uncle would go to work, kids would go to school. So I would just start early. If I had liquor in the house, as soon as everybody leaves, I would just, it got to that point, slowly, yeah. it got to that point, I would just get started, and hopefully I'll be, you know, taken up and sober up by around five, maybe four or five, which rarely happened, but I'll maybe that just... That was the aim. That was the aim, or sometimes I just end up just staying and kind of just maybe trying to cook for the family or something, and just... <sighs> I don't know. It was just miserable. Yeah. And that went on for a couple of years, didn't it? It did. What ended up putting that to a stop? Um, so I finally got a job at 
um, I got a job and um, I moved out of my uncle's house for a f maybe a year or something. And um, and I actually went, I worked there for like a year, but um, I was still drinking. Um, I wasn't drinking that much once I when I started that job, but as I got comfortable in the job, I started drinking. But I would be sober going to work. So and I worked night shift, so um, I would come in the morning and just drink and just sleep, and by five o'clock wake up, go to work. But you know, over time, it got to a point where I would wake up, I would still be drunk but just shower, go to work. And then it got to a point where I would still be drunk, shower, and then put some vodka. At this point, I was just drinking vodka. Like, let's just get straight to the point. Put some vodka in a water bottle and go to work. And... Continue drinking at work. Yeah, I would... I didn't want to stay, like, get drunk, so I would dilute it with some water or... And then just, because I remember when, you know, when the alcohol started leaving my body, I would get the, yep. so I kind of wanted to stop all the physical symptoms. Yep. yep. So well, I would just drink. In a very basic way, we feel good when our blood alcohol is raising. Yeah. And when our blood alcohol starts dropping, that's when we feel bad. Uh, the and physical was just to terrible. Because it was so cold, and then you're just feeling cold and hot and itchy, and just, it was terrible. I hated it, so... That's when I started actually drinking, which happened not too many times, you know, a few times I did that. But um, I remember one time this guy, uh, you know, he like, I think we were at the break room or something, or he just pulled me and told me, um, like someone say they smelled alcohol on you. And I was like, who? Why? Why would they say that? Why would I drink when, I'm, when I know I'm coming to work, you know? Like, I have a whole day to drink. I, all, you know, just making up excuses. And I'm like, oh, shit. Uh, yeah, cause just because I can't smell it doesn't mean people can't smell it. Mm -hmm. Yep. And, uh, and that old thing that the people would, you know, you can't smell vodka. Oh, <laughs> I thought it's... Oh, vodka you can definitely smell. Well, there's so. a thing that goes around that says you can't. Oh, I think it's gin. So I think I heard oh. that on a TV show or movie. Oh, really? It's, I think, is well, it I've heard a lot of people gin? say vodka, that we drink in vodka because you couldn't smell vodka. Uh, oh. I disagree with all that. Oh, very I think much when so. we're alcohol, you smell alcohol. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't make and any difference what you're drinking. I remember someone. It's coming out of your pores. Someone told me, like, when I was not drinking, brush my teeth, they could smell it from my skin, just from yep. my pores. Yep. And um, so... So the thing is, during that one year, I missed work so many times because I would, sometimes I'd be too drunk. Like, I'm not going in. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm not doing that. Um, and then I would just call in. Uh, so many times, eventually, they had to let me go. They're like... And I tried defending it and giving them all these excuses, blah, blah, blah. Like, I had, I was not feeling well. Eventually, they had to let me go. They're like, we have to just let you go. You can reapply, but technically, we have to let you go. So, they let me go. 
and then I stayed for and I'd I at this point I I I moved into this apartment I was just subleasing it for the summer and uh, at that point I didn't have a job and uh, I had some roommates too and um, and they were drinking so I was like oh okay we can sit down and drink you know all of all three of us and then Ah, and then it picked up really quick again for me, and all of a sudden I was drinking in the bedroom <laughs> without them. And it got so bad because I remember when I was supposed to leave the house, I I was too drunk, like, to even pack my things. Oh, time when your lease was up and time to go. Yeah, because I remember I had to... looked for places and I just couldn't find a place. So when it was like a day, I was just, let's just drink. We'll wake up and deal with this. Yeah. Next thing I wake up, my uncle is in the house getting my things. And I don't even know who called him. I just, this He's is terrible packing. because this is pretty recent. Yeah. <laughs> like two or so, two and a half, three years ago. It's, I don't know. It was just God. And also because my uncle had just had enough of my drinking at his house. We had had conversations. He had threatened to kick me out of his house and for drinking, you know, in front of his kids and being drunk in his house. Yeah. And um, Did you get hurt? Did you do something that ended up being a big deal? Uh, I might have somebody else's story up, but... Um, I, I did fall down some steps when I was leaving, uh, staying with a friend one time, and um, scared him real bad. Yeah, scared the hell out of him. Called an ambulance. He told me I passed off for, I don't know, a minute or whatever. I called the ambulance. And <laughs> that was when I was still working at the first place, because I remember when I was discharged, I had you know the black around my eyes mm. from. I guess leading back there, the circles. Yeah. And back then I was wearing glasses just for night driving and stuff. But I remember I wore them to work just to kind of distract people from seeing yeah. and asking questions. And it worked because only one person kind of noticed it and was like, what's, what's happening with your eyes? Like, what's going on? Huh. But, but yeah, that one time and... Um, and then, what other time did I? So there was that one. And then I think the next one was just this car. Because, so this car, I was living at my uncle's. She touched her forehead about a scar that's on her forehead. Yeah. Um, so I had woken up each night, and I was trying to look for the light, which is, you know, the ones you pull by the string. And so I was just walking around the basement in the dark, drunk. And um, this is funny because I told my uncle a very different version of this story. <laughs> so let's not, let's hope he doesn't hear this before my amends to him. But uh, so I was walking around the basement. And so the one that I usually grab, the string had pulled out or something. So I was going for the next one. And so this was just too much walking, drunk in the dark. And so I remember I hit something 
and I was kind of falling, and so I leaned onto something, which happened to be the Christmas tree. So I went down with it, yeah. and in the process, there was this like um, it was like a workbench just stored down there, and uh, so I hit that on my way down, mm. and. Um, I didn't realize how bad it was, and I think after that I just forgot about peeing, and I just went back to bed, or, or I don't know what I did. I think I just kind of just took a headscarf, and just wrapped it, you know, because I was drunk. I don't remember what I did, but yeah. I think I did that, like wrap it with a headscarf, and went back to bed. And then that was a Friday night because I remember Saturday I woke up, and I was looking in the mirror and. The skin hanging, so I kind of tried and pushed it back a little bit, and I took a bandaid and put it on um, vertically, just to hold the skin Try there. To do some wound care. Yeah, and then I so I spent the whole day with my cousins outside. Just I think we we're just playing in the backyard, some te- some whatever. And um, the next Sunday, I was supposed to meet someone for a walk in Cherokee Park. So I woke up on Sunday and I was, lo- you know, I showered and I was looking at this thing in the mirror and I was like, no, nah, I don't think Bandit is going to do this. I need to maybe go to the urgent care. I probably would need stitches because this might leave a very nasty scar on my forehead, my moneymaker. So yeah. I went to the urgent care and they're like, oh, since it's been over 24 hours, there's nothing we can do. You probably need to go to the emergency room. So I went to the emergency room, and that was the quickest emergency room visit. Like, they took me almost immediately. They? Yeah, they said, that looks bad. Like, I, I was like, I was, I, if I had known this all the other times I'd been to the emergency room, just, I guess, head injury, like, I barely even sat down, and they took me. And... Um, yeah, the doctor looked at it and they they uh, cleaned it and s- stitched it up, which was nerve-wracking. It was scary. You know, the needles being injected right on top of your eye. It yeah. was painful. Yeah. I've had over 100 stitches in my face oh. from dog bites. So uh. I know what you mean when they're, you can't not watch them and, they're, and the face is painful. And I was so, shaking. My mm. body was shaking. Like, I need to stop shaking because I was just nervous. My body was, like, vibrating. Yeah. And I'm trying to be still. But they got it done and referred me to this plastic surgeon who... Anyway, so that's how that happened. That's how I got hurt. And then I think uh. towards the end there... Because the thing is, when I drank, I usually... And I ran out... I would get an Uber and go buy some more liquor. Mm. But towards the end there, I guess I just got brave and just started driving. Oh, did you? <laughs> just got brave and stupid. I just started a very few times. But I remember on the one of the last ones, it was towards the evening, and I got in my car, and I think my uncle saw me. And I drove to the liquor store. And when I was coming out, I saw my uncle coming in. And he just took the bottle from my hand. It was like, get in the car. And we left my car there, and I got in the car and went and slept. And the next day, I didn't know where my keys were, so I was at home. Eventually, told me. And, um, yeah. And then, so after this car, I was like, man, that's that's my wake-up call. You know, like, 
it, it was really, I was kind of pissed and sad. Like, if I was going to get a scar, why was it on my face? Yeah. I mean, there are other ways to tell me not to to stop drinking. You know, I was really, and it was huge. Because I remember when I went there, I was asking the doctor, am I going to have a scar? He's like, yeah, you'll have a scar. You'll definitely have a scar there. And um, that was very depressing. I was really concerned about that, but... So that was like, I was like, yeah, I need to stop drinking this. I mean, what else, you know, what else do I need to know that I need to stop drinking? Given, you know, I've had, I'd had so many other times I've I've been hospitalized just in Louisville, you know, to a point where the uh, the EMS, some of them knew me, Mm. you know. Frequent flyer. Yes, yes. Even the nurses knew me. So what I remember doing was, because it's a few years, I would just try and change the hospitals. When the EMS came for me, I'd be like, take me to this hospital, or this uh, one, yeah. or this one. Yeah. And I think I got, I don't know, if one time I went to UofL, which I'd had horror stories about it, but yeah, I just try and go to different hospitals, and uh, Eventually, some of the nurses knew me like, you look familiar. I had that a couple of times. Like, and funny. most of this was alcohol sickness kind of thing? It was all alcohol. Alcohol sickness, getting too sick. Mm-hmm. Just getting too sick from alcohol, getting too weak. Like, I would not eat. Like, one time, you know, the EMS, they took my blood sugar. It was like 22. And the next time they took it, the machine just couldn't find any sugar on my, oh, wow. in my blood. Like, they kept taking it. Like, it's not reading anything. Mm. And... um yeah, so, and I didn't have insurance. Without my job, I didn't have insurance. So I have some bills, unpaid bills. I've been getting calls. I actually got one. I was talking to one of the people yesterday or today. They're like, oh, we have $5,000. Yeah. And that's just part of some of the debts I have medical from drinking. Yeah. Because I didn't have any school debt, you know. So all the debt I have is alcohol-related. Wow. Yeah. Hospitalization. So, but after I got this car, I remember I went to the hospital. I had this big bandage on my forehead. And um, a week or so later, maybe 10 days later, I woke up in the middle of the night drunk. I looked around, the, the, the bandage was on the bed, and like I had just gone right back to drinking. With that, even this thing was not healed, and so I wasn't—I wasn't even taking care of it like I was supposed to. Yeah. I would like—I was supposed to, you know, clean it just and put some whatever. But yeah, yeah I remember—I remember looking and seeing the bandage on the bed, and I was like, "Man, what is going on here?" I remember thinking that, drunk, like, "Why am I still doing this? Yeah. I mean, this thing is not even healed." I should be taking care. I, I remember thinking this, like, I should be taking care of this. And I remember remembering that I'd said, this should be my way. This is, a, this is my wake-up call, really. But then here, I am laying here. My bandage, my bandage is off. And it was just pathetic. It was sad. It was... And <laughs> the other thing is, I do remember drinking, you know, like that last year. I remember I would... Sometimes I would get up 
and I would start driving to the liquor store and I would get halfway there and I'd be praying, God, please help me not to drink. Mm. And then I would turn around and I would go back. I remember one time I drove and went back and parked the car. And while sitting there, I just just started the car again and went and got the thing. I was like, whatever, I can, I'll just buy it and bring it here and if, because I really have to. It's that, that physical addiction. Like I see people with cigarettes, like in case I need it, I'll take it. Like why would I, in, you know, if explaining this to someone like my mom, why would you just happen in case need? It's not yeah. like an EpiPen in case, in case yeah, you right, need yeah. it, you know, like, no, but that was my reason in case things get too bad and I'll just have it. And yeah. of course, I think I drank it right away when I got right. home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, all kinds of excuses. In fact, the matter is I'm just unable to stop on my own. I'm unable. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember sitting down and just crying and praying to God, please help me stop drinking. Just crying. just And then getting up and going to the store. And, and this all like your progression from just drinking socially to alcoholic was a pretty short amount, pretty short window, right? Yeah. Over just a couple of years time. Yeah. Yeah. Cassie, how old are you now? Oh, 32. So you're back at your uncle's doing this? Yes, I, so actually, so, um, I kept drinking and one day my uncle came home and he was like, get up, we need to go, we, you need to stop this. I'm taking you to the hospital or something. And I was still drunk. It was, it was around seven o'clock or something. And he had just, he had just had it. And I mean, can't even be mad at him, you know? And, um, I was just laying there like, oh, okay. And he just took a, one of my bags and just went to my clothes and just started, you know, opening up and put, just throwing things into the bag. Like we're going to the hospital, like we're going somewhere, you know? And he put stuff in my car and I was still drunk. Cause I remember walking, him holding me as I walked into the brook. And I think they did the interview, the assessment, and they're like, I'm too drunk, they can't take me. I have to go to the hospital, which is just the Norton's right the there. Yes, yeah, so we went there and um, they kept me overnight. And I think the next morning, someone from the Brook came and finished my assessment. And um, they told me the doctor recommended IOP. But my uncle was wanted me to do an inpatient for like a month. And I was like, okay, yes, I, I, I think that's a good idea to just be separated yeah. from it. And um, Many of us need that. Yeah, I was, was so, and she said, I, I was like, no, I need to be in there. And um, so she was like, just come to the hospital and um, you'll talk to the doctor then. And um, sorry. I told my uncle that, and uh, he was like, if 
they can't give you, get you in there. We need to find somewhere else. And he was recommending these places. And I looked at some of them and they sounded just like homeless shelters pretty much. And I remember talking to someone about that, like, no, that's pretty much just a homeless shelter. And so I actually, when they told me to go to the brook, I, 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 cause I had had people come and do these assessments in several other hospital stays, but this was the first time I followed up on it. So I went and they did the assessment again and they recommended the IOP. And I kept telling them, I want to be inpatient. So they told me if I come in, just come to the first day of IOP and I'll see the doctor and he can, I can talk to the doctor. So I came in and I stayed the first class and I didn't see the doctor that day. So they told me he'll be back tomorrow. And the next day he didn't come in and I ended up, but on that first day, when I got into class, the counselor asked me, why are you here? And I was like, I'm here because if the next five years are going to be anything like this past few years have been, I just don't want to be here for them. I just can't. I just, I'm not suicidal or anything, but I just don't want to live five more years of that. I just need my life to change. And um, he told me, and I told him how I wanted to be inpatient. I'm just waiting to talk to the doctor. And he just told me, just stay in here. You'll be, f you'll be fine in here. Trust me, you'll, you'll be fine. And for some reason, I just believed him. I don't know if he, he was so confident the way he said it. I was like, I don't, I was like, okay. So when I finally saw the doctor, I was talking to him and uh, he was, he told me, if you want to go inpatient, I will let you go inpatient if you really want to. But by that third or fourth day, I was really liking the IOP classes. Um, immediately, I just liked the class from the first day. Is that Christopher's class? Yes, Christopher's class. From the first day, I just liked the class. Because that first day, I just remember I went, I just wore some shorts and a t-shirt and a headscarf to cover my, <laughs> my big bandage that was still there. And I, I just loved it from the first day. And the confidence I had in his voice and how just real he was when he was talking, he wasn't. And the fact that, you know, the fact that he was also an alcoholic, like he had experience. It's not just someone sitting and telling me to do these things when they don't know what they're talking about. So when I saw the doctor, I actually told him, I'm okay. I did like the classes and also because if I had stayed the 28 or 30 days, it was going to be my birthday. I would have to spend my birthday in there. Yeah. Now given, I haven't celebrated my birthday for years. Not like I'd have done anything if I had, I probably would have done some, something, you know, I probably would have done, maybe celebrated it in there, but no, I didn't want to be in there for my birthday. So, and I, I like the classes and I'm so glad I went to those classes and I just love them. I look forward to them. I dreaded weekends. 
<laughs> but for the weekends, I was looking forward to coming for Mondays. And uh, it's been great since then. And Christopher got through to you? He did, immediately. <laughs> Can you remember any stuff in particular? I just remember that first day when he asked me, and I just started crying when I was telling him why I was there. And I remember he was looking at, he was looking at the look he was giving me. I felt like, it was kind of like, I don't know if it's pity or like concern or just like he could feel the the desperation in my voice or mm -hmm. and um and the other thing is I had tried like I had a friend who is a, was a boyfriend I someone I dated for a while and he actually suggested I try AA one time in point and he actually took me to my first AA meeting some time ago not yeah like a year before that or yeah or two years before that i sat in that aa meeting and it was it was a bit of an older crowd or and i remember people was you know walking around you know just going around the room introducing them as alcoholics and i just sat there like my name is esther and it's like that's all that you know. That's all I'm saying. I'm not. I don't know. I don't think I'm an alcoholic. I, I didn't say that, but it's like let's keep it moving. You know, they're waiting for me to say I'm an alcoholic, but I just said I was Esther, and they kept going. And I was just sitting, just listening, and it just. I was like, ugh, I I didn't like it. It sounded like some brainwashing or something, yeah. and I did that twice. And then after the meetings, the people would just talk to each other like nobody came to or some people came to talk to me it's like i wanted them to talk to me at the same time i didn't want them to talk to me yeah. like ah just don't talk to me at the same time if they don't i feel bad and so i didn't go back there well the other reason is because i didn't have a car then and it was getting colder and so it was a good reason for me not to go back a lot of reasons to not go back to AA. The biggest one I like is that this uh, disease is much like a parasite, and it hijacks your operating system. And it is telling you, Esther, do not go to those meetings because it wants to keep you sick, mm -hmm. and it knows that there's a solution in there, and it will talk you out of going. It'll do that to me today if I'm not keeping myself fit spiritually. Tell me I don't need a meeting. Tell me I don't need to do the certain things that I do on a daily basis in order to maintain the life I have today. So would you have 20 days or something in Christopher's thing? <laughs> so I started with a PHP program, which is like 20 sessions, which is where you go from 9 till 2. And... So when my time was coming, I was like, I don't, I'm, I'm kind of scared of leaving this class. I actually mentioned that in class. Yeah. And Christopher was like, uh, you know, he'll see, with, talk to the nurses and see what they can do if I can have more sessions. And the funny thing is, I didn't have health insurance since I lost my job. 
But when I went to the hospital that night, they signed me up for that emergency insurance. And that's actually what covered my state, my Brook hospitalization. And it ran out, but it covered for that because after the PHP, they gave me another 20 more sessions from the, for the IOP, the 9 to 12. So wow. I was there for like eight weeks or something. And towards the end, I was like, okay, I'm ready to go. Because I'm starting to hear repetitions. Yeah. Like, okay, I'm, I'm ready to go now. So what, uh, you, gra- you, you graduated from Christopher's class? Yeah. Um, I'd venture to say there's not very many people in, in this area that has had a bigger impact on people's recovery as Christopher has. Oh, He's obviously uh, my sponsor and uh, has, gets all the credit for that, but he does. he has a way, uh, he has a gift of communicating this disease and getting people to hear and and believe him you know to, he earns their trust that that he knows what he's talking about and and i i hear a ton of people that have a breakthrough just simply from listening to the way that he carries his message oh yeah for sure like when i heard him talking about AA, because even sitting in that class i don't know if i believed in AA, but when i heard him talk you know when he was teaching and then I, I remember thinking, you know, this guy sounds very reasonable. And if this guy believes in AA, I, I need to check that out, you know, because he sounds intelligent and smart and he knows what he's talking about. And he's just like speaking to me, you know, I was like, if this guy recommends AA, I need to check it out. And and I did. And he was like, go to a bunch of different meetings. And it was summertime. And I did that. I went to all these meetings. Some of them, I remember I went to them, but I don't know where they were. But I just went to all of them. And I just loved those IOP classes. They gave me something I hadn't had for a long time, structure. Get up in the morning, go somewhere, get done. And then after the, the classes, I would have all these meetings listed, highlighted for different days, the ones I would go to and ventured it was fun it was one of the funnest summers i've ever heard that early sobriety yeah and i met a friend there cindy and we had a blast that summer we went everywhere together we had so much fun together yeah when you got a battle buddy doing this thing together it it makes a big difference it was wonderful i loved it she was such a blessing in my life she is a blessing in my life as is christopher i think christopher you know not just to me, but to my entire family. Mm. Because I didn't know about alcoholism, but yeah, my uncle died, but he died of alcoholism, you know? And there's one who right now is going through that. He's drinking himself to death. And I've never had anyone acknowledge that's what's going on. They just, he drinks too much. He needs, you know, he's not taking care of his responsibilities. And so I feel, you know, by Christopher getting through to me and me knowing what I have. So I feel like if someone, because, you know, it's, it's genetic, there's going to be others of us down the, you know, down the line. And I feel like since I have this, hopefully I can be able to help them if I see them and they know they're not alone and they're not disappointments in the family because pretty much what it is. Yeah. Uh, Shame. Shame. 
Shame. Well, it's a super blessing that your uncle packed you up and put you there. Right. Uh, <laughs> and I always think of, you know, there's a number of places you can go in Louisville to get treatment. Mm -hmm. And uh, those people who land at the brook in Christopher's class, uh, that's a miracle they're getting handed. You don't get that. Oh, I have to be real careful about saying this sort of, but I'm going to say it flat out. You're not going to get that anywhere else. That education on what this disease is mm -hmm. from somebody who has it and uh, knows it the way that he knows it and then turns around and be able to communicate it to in a way that you need to hear it. Because you need to hear it different than the person sitting next to you, right? A Christopher will turn the channel when he talks to the person next to you, mm -hmm. and he'll talk in their language, you know, and, and to them. It's almost like he speaks a hundred languages, as all these alcoholics have the same thing, but they need to hear the message just a little differently. And Christopher doesn't pull any punches either. I mean, he calls it as he sees it. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and, <laughs> yeah. and you landed, landed in, in that class. And I had that gift handed set at your feet. But you come out of there and tried to join, because that's what the recovery centers are doing. The recovery centers are drying you out, giving you some alcohol education, substance abuse, chemical dependency education. And the plan is, is that you go out and join the recovery community. That's what they're, you know, they're, they're uh, a funnel uh, that you land in. And the point is, after you're done here, you need to go see those people. That's where your help is. Yeah. So you started, Yeah, I know during it you're going to AA meetings because it's a requirement, I think. No, it wasn't. It wasn't a requirement to go to no, AA meetings? No, but I, I think before that they had to turn in all these papers. But when I went there, it was suggested, highly suggested by Christopher. But, but not required. We didn't have to turn in papers or anything. Hmm. Um, so what happened when you when you ended up you went ran out of time there? Um, still living as your uncle's? Yes, I still am actually. Still now? Yeah. Because um, this is a short. This is eighteen months ago. Yes. Um, Do you have any stumbles after trying to get once you came into Christopher's class? No, you actually, and that's the thing I was thinking about the other day. I was like. It's one of those things I'm not sure if I should be saying out loud or, you know, like, no. I remember in that class, like, so many people would come and they would, you know, drink and come back several times. But I just didn't. I feel like the moment I got into that class, like, that obsession just left. I just mm. had no interest like even one weekend when I was still in the class, like my whole uncle and his family, they left for the weekend. I was there alone. And that was like a golden opportunity. Like why hadn't they ever done that while I was drinking? But I knew I just, drinking was not an option. And I remember I just sat there the whole week. I couldn't sleep because I don't remember the last time I slept in a house alone. So I just stayed upstairs the whole night watching TV uh, making some videos of myself talking, just doing, just passing time until they came back. I just never, I just, no, I, I didn't go back to drink. It, you know, it's crossed my mind a few times, but never, it's just, it just lost its allure to me. Yeah. 
It's just that's a miracle too. It is a it's a, it is a big miracle. It because I remember you know I remember just trying to go a week without drinking, and it was so hard. And then all these things that happened, like this scoured my face, and after a week. I would for, forget about all that. I'd forget about this one time I went to the hospital and the doctor was like, if you hadn't come in, you'd be dead in a few hours. And all I did was I sat in the house the whole day trying to get rid, rid of the alcohol and just... But at some point at night, I, I felt terrible. So I just called an ambulance and just quietly just got out. And when they came, I just got out of the house and left with them. And he's like, if you hadn't come in... But I would for, after, even after that, as scared as I was, I went back and drunk. And other times I would leave the ER and go and drink whatever I still had at home. But like during that summer, even that weekend, I, I, I would still remember how bad it got. You know, that, that, that memory is still fresh with me, how bad it gets. So that is a big blessing for me yeah. because that's the thing that I would always forget and just go back and drink again just a week or a few days later. Or immediately, but that's a very big blessing that I don't take for granted. So when you made it out and you started trying to acclimate into AA, uh, and I want to lead you a little bit, but I actually do want to lead you a little bit. You were having some issues getting going with what everybody tells us what you need to do, right? What does everybody say you need to do? Get a sponsor. And work the steps, right? Mm -hmm. And so you heard that. And you made that attempt, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, and what happened? Why did you just couldn't find a fit or couldn't find? Uh, so I, this one lady I started working with, and she was amazing, but she, she walked out of town so often, we barely had time together. And so I just needed someone who was more available I could work with. Because she'd be gone like several days at a time, and so I, I tried and I found someone who was. I just saw this lady several times at a meeting, and eventually I got that courage and went and asked her. And me and her started working together. We did steps one, two, and three. And then I did the fourth, which was a struggle because I tried reading this paper she'd given me to read off of and do the steps. And it was just so confusing. But anyway, somehow I did it. And I was struggling through that because at some point Christopher gave me the book from the CSSR meetings. And I read through that book and implemented some of that in the fourth step I was doing. But when it came to the fifth step, I just... I was just having a hard time opening up to her. Like we met a few times and like we would do like a page at a time. And I had so many pages of names, but I was just having a hard time. Like I tried like forming a bond, a relationship with her that would help me open up and and like she would open up to me. But it was just so hard for me to relate because... Yeah, she would open up to me. I don't, you know, she doesn't know me. She doesn't need to open up everything about herself to me. But I just didn't feel like I could relate. I just... There was something and, blocking you. Yeah, there was just something blocking me. And 
Did you? And so you did a fifth step with her, or you? No, we just started. started we just started like two pages, and I just couldn't. And I just stopped. And so it was a formal stop, or was it just just kind of quit? Just kind of didn't meet up again. Yeah, just kind of quit and just dodging one another. No, actually, in the meantime, I tried to like just arrange just meetings, like just stop by her house, just say hi before we're scheduled meetings to to try and form a relationship to try and get closer but i just couldn't so i just quit that and every time because i still and i still do go for my aftercare for my iop which is like the highlight of my week and i kept sharing this and i kept sharing this because so after just for real quick for people who are alumni of the treatment center, you can go back on Thursdays and come what they call aftercares, and you can go there for as long as you want, I suppose. And that's what you're speaking to. You're mm-hmm. going to back every Thursday and going to aftercare and sharing about this conundrum you found yourself in. Yeah, it's like a booster, booster class. Yeah, and I kept sharing that, and I've you know since that I would be, I, I just wanted to do the step work. I really wanted because I kept hearing all these good, good things, you know, uh, the relief you get. And I just wanted that relief because from day one, I just wanted to do my amends. But you can't do your amends. You have to go through the steps. And I just wanted like, all right, I just want to get this out of the way. And so I was always looking forward to that. So when I hit this, I was just frustrated and angry. Actually, I was and I kept sharing about it until Christopher finally, after class, suggested you. And I was so happy. I don't think I've told you this, but I was so happy because I kept seeing Christopher. I was like, man, I wish there's a way he could sponsor me. But that was just out of the question. And then I kept seeing these other people, like, you know, the people he sponsors and people they sponsor and, you know, that whole, and I was like, man, that's pretty cool. Like when I, you know, the few times I went to the spiritual underground and I just saw this recovery that I just wanted, you know, the the brotherhood, the, the genuine love and yep. care that I would see. I was like, man, I wish there was a, a women's group like this. And maybe there is, I just never saw it. And I tried a few women's meetings, but it was just something. I was like, man, I even thought, like, I wonder if Shane would sponsor me. I wonder if there's a way I could get to that, you know. Just somehow get this recovery and seeing. And so when he suggested, he's like, oh, yes. I don't even know him, but I will take it. Because I didn't know you then. I was like, I mean, I knew of you. I had seen you at the TSSR meetings, and I've, I'd heard you sharing, but I'd never, like, had a conversation mm-hmm. with you. But I was like, oh, hell yes. That is the closest I'll get to, you know, this, to Christopher, to Christopher, and to this recovery that I see around him. And I was like, yes, yes. And I prayed about it for sure. Definitely prayed about it. Talked to some people about it, and it's one of those biggest blessings of mm. my life well, working with you. you. Seriously. I know. Uh... Christopher wouldn't point to someone to me lightly. I know that. Uh, you know, he wouldn't, if he didn't think you were ready and needing it, he wouldn't do that, you know. Uh, and he told me, and I get a little bit different part of the story, but who knows how it actually goes down, that one night he called me and he said, hey, 
Um, just want to tip you off. Uh, Esther might be asking you to sponsor her tonight. Uh, and I was completely blindsided when he said that. You know. <laughs> and uh, I always wondered, like, you know, was that your idea or his or or what? And it doesn't really matter. Uh, and I'll tell you right off the bat, even when he told me, and, and at that time I was, a lot of people were asking me to sponsor him. You know, I had a handful at that time. That was when TSSR was going, just firing up, and I was trying to sponsor everybody I could sponsor. And so there was a piece of me that I didn't have room. You know, it was going to be tough. Uh, but there was a piece of my heart that said, tell her yes. And I also knew, and I'd been around enough to hear, and I don't really know for how, but I'd heard that you were struggling, and I could see your, you get this, it gets sounding funny. So when you receive this spiritual experience and you get this set of eyes that come with recovery, you can see people who are ready, you know, and you can see people who are not. And I kept seeing you as somebody who was ready and just needed the right teacher. Uh, I didn't, no way in the world did I think that right teacher was me, <laughs> but I did see that for sure. And, uh, and I believe my higher power sends me sponsees through various channels mm -hmm. and uh and to be you know being 100 percent honest just the same reasons what we always do to try to find a way out you know uh, well it's female M males don't sponsor females well i already was sponsoring a couple females <laughs> like well nope well she's black I can't sponsor a black girl. Well, what is that? They don't, <laughs> what does that matter? And I know the, one of my very earliest uh, examples of that was when Quentin asked me to sponsor him, and he was homeless. And I said, I don't have any experience as a homeless person. Mm -hmm. How can I do that? Uh, TSSR has shown me that the 12 Steps has no bounds as long as everybody's motives are in the right place. And uh, now I know uh, that, that I frankly believe I can sponsor anybody mm -hmm. now. Um, you've brought things into my life that, uh, and, and you've brought, seeing life through your eyes has brought stuff to me that I would have never seen if I hadn't have known you. And that is one of the other cool things about how God blesses this sponsorship relationship is uh, put us together to complement one another. And because uh, you sure have helped me. Uh, I know it took a lot, I believe, from talking to you in that day. It took a lot of guts to ask me to sponsor you. <laughs> it didn't, I don't think that came easy. No, <laughs> no. Uh, I'm sure you're all like full of already projecting a, re a rejection, a no. <laughs> uh, so uh, congratulations for doing that and going after what you're looking for. Uh, that, that we say, see, somebody's got what you want. And uh, even though I was the second string pick. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but that's a pretty damn good second string pick. Uh, I, I take no kind of, I say that tongue in cheek. Because if people are uh, saying, well, if I can't have Christopher, then I want Dan. And I've, I'd heard him speak so highly of you, even before I met you. Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, yeah. People that go to the brook knew me, and yeah. I would be at a meeting, and somebody would find out that I was Dan from that Christopher talks about. <laughs> yeah, I'm him. Uh, but a super blessing, and uh, you know, and I have. I've been uh, I've been blessed by being able to be sponsored by him, uh, because I wouldn't be the man I am today, and I certainly wouldn't be the sponsor I am today without his tutelage. I tell people I have sat, I, I feel like I sit at the foot of a master. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yes. And, and I get to soak up all of that, you know. Uh, Christopher's my best friend, and I am his. And that is just a really cool arrangement to have in this 12 step world and in the world in general where we walk around having to be worried about who's going to bite you and who's talking about you behind your back and other things like that. And to know I got one guy, I got one guy I can go to with anything in the world that's going on in my life and know he has my back. Mm-hmm. He, he, I, he, he may not agree. With, that doesn't mean he's going to sign my, mm-hmm. <laughs> my bullshit. Uh, but I do know that he will support me in any way that he can possibly support me. And I do the same for him. So one of the things was, is you had already started down the steps. So we talked a little bit. And, and before, when anybody asks me to sponsor him, I have two things. Uh, well, three, one, it starts with three, sort of, because I'm open to it. I never tell anybody no, because I don't believe that. I, I believe the higher power sends people. Uh, I want to pray on it, and I want to talk to my sponsor about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes people aren't a fit. So we did the thing said, call me tomorrow, and so we could get to know each other a little bit. Uh, in the beginning, you were very withdrawn with me. Uh, that didn't last real long. <laughs> uh, you began to share your truth and what was going on with you pretty quickly. That helps the relationship move along Mm -hmm. Uh, and we decided to uh, reaffirm your third step I didn't see any sense in going back and beating up one and two you've been around a little while you knew you were an alcoholic you knew you couldn't quit drinking you knew your life was unmanageable Uh, we could talk for 10 or 15 minutes and and you could talk for 10 or 15 minutes and, and get that point across pretty quickly that those things were there so uh, we did a, I took you through the way I do a third step. And we did a third step prayer down on the Ohio River. Met one day. I still remember it. Mm-hmm. I, every third step prayer I did has, a, there's, a mo- photo, there's a photograph of that in my head. Uh, those, those moments are that important to me. And uh, walked you through a new fourth step, which you'd just done before. Right? I mean, you just done it, but we couldn't really consummate it with the rest of the steps. Uh, I don't think it would have been of any value to use your other fourth step no. because we do it differently. Yeah. And, uh, and, and you, you just kept doing the work and did the work and did the work. And then one day that was done, and we got to go down to the cabin and do your step five. And I actually do have before and after pictures of you from that trip. And you can see the difference in between Esther the day before and the day after. And that, that, that changes everything. 
Uh, I don't know if I recall, you didn't read any of your four-step notebook to me. Mm-hmm. You might have got it out a couple of times to look in it, but that's not what we do in our lineage here. Uh, we do, as the big book says, we sat down for a long talk. Um, you did five and six that night, or six and seven that night, and we woke up and gave you instructions for eight. You've been doing amends, still have some to do. A lot. And uh, we've uh, walked through the rest of the big book. Um, it says we commence this way of life if we are cleaning up our past, which means we will be cleaning up our past for some time. Mm-hmm. We don't put a bookmark in the book and stop there and wait to get all your amends done before proceeding. And just Wednesday night we did hit page one, the beautiful page 164 and uh, consummated that trip through the steps. And uh, and we know, like I said, I don't, uh, there's always more amends to be done, always. What are some of the things that's happened to you that you don't think would have happened to you as a result of recovery? I call them miracles. Here, I'll, I'll, I'll do something here real quick. Uh, man, my phone filled up. Uh, distraction, distractions. You can't pick up this phone without getting a distraction. I don't think I've ever sang on a podcast before. Wow. Do you sing? <laughs> You have such a beautiful voice, I would think that. Well, thank you for saying that. Not everybody agrees with that, but I just sing and then I just laugh at myself. Singing to yourself (laughs) in the shower and in the car. In the the car. And I was like, thank God there's nobody in here. (laughs) That would have been terrible. You know, uh, I used to do that a lot too, and singing and music have fell out of my life. Mm. I don't sing to, I don't listen to music much anymore. Most of what I listen to is spoken word stuff. Uh, yeah. Miracle. Here we go. One of the miracles is actually I do remember. I remember lyrics nowadays. I I couldn't sing sh- shit when I, when I was drinking. Like, but now I hear songs and I remember the lyrics and I'm able to learn new songs. So that's pretty amazing. I uh, pulled a definition of miracle out of a dictionary the other day. And I've noticed how many times the word miracle is used in the big book as I take people through the big book and we keep on, there's miracle, miracle. And as most people know, I have this miracle list in my phone of where I keep track of the miracles that happened in my life. Uh, A miracle is, number one, an extraordinary event manifesting divine intervention in human affairs. Two, an extremely outstanding or unusual event thing or accomplishment three a divinely natural phenomenon experienced humanly as the fulfillment of spiritual law and i have a number four on mine that's part of mine it's something that wouldn't have happened if i had not come to recovery and that wraps up quite a few things Uh, i know that a piece of my miracle list many things on my miracle list are things that could not have happened if i had not worked this program and placed these principles into my life or that 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 was the magic wand that allowed my miracles to happen 
Can you think of anything in your yes, life? Yes, definitely. That kind of stuff? Um, so when I was drinking, I just was, you know, if something's too hard to deal with, I would just drink and maybe, you know, kind of just um, re- just relieve myself of that anxiety and just never dealt with anything. And one of those things was my immigration which I just kept postponing, postponing, until eventually it was like, oh, shit, I don't know what I'm going to do. But then when I stopped drinking, I had some clarity. I was like, let's just get a lawyer who knows how to deal with all these things. And thank God I did. I had had so many suggestions, but eventually I actually, my uncle, my uncle suggested it, which not talking about this, he's a very big blessing in my life you know, and part of the reason for my recovery. And I actually just went, you know, I didn't have the funds, but not funds that ran out. And I actually found a lawyer and I started working with him and I was delaying and dragging feet, but I eventually found one who I actually sat down and did what I had not been doing for months or years and got that done. And... (laughs) Now we're actually headed in the right direction, and I see lights at the end of the tunnel, yeah. you know? And that's that's something I, I don't think I'd have. I would have just drunk myself to death trying to avoid it, trying to postpone it, trying not to deal with it, hoping it's, you know? But now I'm actually, I'm hoping, and I'm actually doing my part and giving the rest to my higher power. But I'm actually doing my part, not just sitting, sleeping, drinking, hoping things are going to be work out somehow, but I'm able to do that. And another thing is just to be able to make friends. Like for the first time, I actually people, I can use the word friend and mean friend, not Mm. just lose acquaintances, because I had a bunch of those. And I still have some, but I have friends, people, people I, um, I know I can call them, people who... You know, I have that. I don't know. I've had a few, like I had a best friend in high school, but in adulthood, just that is one of the, you know, someone you know who has your best interests at heart. It's, that is one of the biggest miracles, especially when I look back, like I was looking back, I was like, man, it's a good thing I didn't realize I was miserable when I was a child. It's a good thing. I just... I remember I had a best friend at some point, and then this girl moved into the neighborhood, and she took my best friend. Uh. Or my best friend let herself get taken. And and I remember watching them being friends, and I felt so betrayed. But, yeah, thank God I didn't realize I was just sad. I remember not... But actually being able to make friends, being able to talk to people and being able to be myself and be comfortable because like you said, I'm a bit reserved. I can be quiet. Uh, Like I would be afraid to meet up with people. Like if someone wanted to meet up or people are having lunch, I'd be afraid to go because I don't have anything to, I don't know what people are always talking about, but I don't have anything to talk about. You know, some people just keep talking and, and sometimes I'll be like bored. I'm like, man, this conversation is so boring or childish. I remember thinking that one time and actually 
telling someone that after that conversation. Really? I was like, that was so like that was so childish. But now I'm actually able to go and do these things. And if I have nothing to talk about, I just don't talk. I'm I'm comfortable just being quiet and being myself. And and you know, if if I get too bored, I can just get up, say goodbye, and just leave and be okay and not afraid of what people will think. It's just who I am. And and then I find people who love me just that way. The, yeah. the person I am, the... I used to think it was I was being boring, but it's just who I am. You know, I don't have to keep talking because I just... Like I said, I don't know what people are always talking about, but I love it. I'm, I'm loving the person that I'm finding out I am. Just... Yeah. Loving being myself in my skin is amazing. Well, that's the promise of 12-step spiritual recovery in Christopher's and the book. Peace. The peace that I have in my mind. Like, all these things I still deal with, but there's just this peace in my head that whatever happens, I think it's... And I used to hear things happen for a reason, and I used to get irritated. I, like, that's just nonsense. Like... You know, but now I just, and I don't know if it's just self-delusions or just deluding myself, but I do believe that thing, things happen for a reason. And some things that I see happening and they don't make sense to me, the way I look at it is they might make sense down the line. I might not be alive to see them, but mm-hmm. maybe down my, you know, lineage, maybe it will make sense why some things happen the way they did. You know, like my aunt died not, you know, a few years ago and... My cousins, not my aunt, not my cousins don't have their mother. It makes no sense, like, why their mother had to die. And it still doesn't, but who knows? You know, maybe someone will find a reason in that down the line. Or or if not, when I finally meet my higher power, he, he might explain it. It makes sense. But it's just helped me to go through life with some sort of peace and not worrying too much. Or what happened, what didn't happen. If it didn't happen, it just didn't happen. It wasn't meant to happen. If it happened, it was meant to happen. And I can't go back and change that, you know. And the other thing is I'm able to fall asleep. I used to stay up. Even when I was not drinking, I would just stay up just the whole night. Like, because I would turn off the lights and go to sleep. And then my mind would start. I never knew what tracing mind was, but... That's what it was because I would lay there for an hour and eventually just get up and turn on the TV. And then I'd be up the whole night because every time I closed my my eyes, my mind would just start going and going. But now I'm actually to, able to just lay in bed and feel sleepy and fall asleep. Yep. Sleep is one of my biggest gifts and miracle in recovery. I, I have a gift of sleep today. I can sleep anywhere, anytime, <laughs> well, any my, amount of time. I'm not yet there, but it's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. Uh, definitely that's a place that a lot, many of us is being on insomnia and alcoholism go hand in hand. And frankly, actually, when you put down alcohol at the beginning, it's really tough to sleep for most of us. <laughs> Uh, you'll you'll lean into that. Uh, you know, as I saying, that tagline or the subtitle of uh, Christopher's book, it says to reclaim our original self. You know, and that's what the 12 Steps is designed to do is get back where you can reclaim who you were meant to be, that happy, joyous, and free soul that, that God wants us to be. 
Uh, I use the word God very loosely, as most people hear my podcast. It's just an easy word to say. Whatever the universe wants me to be, and I know that when it's happening. You know, I have these pieces. Uh, I'll quote Jordan Peterson says, "I don't know what it means to be to. I don't know what it means when one is completely in alignment." But I've had intimations of what that might be, and I do. I have these intimations now and again that I know I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to. I'm where I'm at. I'm where I'm supposed to be at doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. Uh, and some of those times, those times happen more and more today. Whether if it's uh, working on a job or working with a sponsee or wherever I just happen to be, sometimes I get that feeling out here in the wood shop that I just know I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing right now. And that's a really good feeling because I've spent a lot of my life thinking that something over the hill was happening and I wasn't a part of it. And I was missing out. Uh, old FOMO thing, the mm. fear of missing out. And today I don't miss out on that stuff. And I don't get myself uh, too wound up in what happened or too wound up in what might happen. Uh, those are always dangerous places. And part of that's because we did this third step decision that I'm going to quit playing God. Mm. I'm going to turn this thing over to somebody else who, like you said, I have to believe that things are happening for a reason. And you know, you said something about why did so-and-so die? Well, primarily because they're human. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and humans die. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, maybe the bigger question is why she have to die now? Yeah. But then again, now I'm gonna get into, you know, same thing when we're looking for, God has always provided for me, always does. Uh, it's rarely on my timeline. <laughs> So I had to let go of that timeline and and keep doing the right thing, keep on walking this walk, and I keep on doing that, and uh, and and the right things keep on showing up in my path. Just keep doing what we're doing. Got something on your mind? No, not really. No. Well... I think we've got all the way up to current day. Any cool plans? Um. And it's okay to just do this thing day at a time, too, so. No, I don't really. I, I mean, I'm looking forward to tomorrow for aftercare. Ah, yeah. I, yeah, I still, I love it. I still love it, so. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. I had to, I had to be a little bit careful with this statement, too, but. I believe I am the only non-Brook patient allowed to come to aftercare. <laughs> yeah, I was so surprised when I saw you there one time. I was like, whoa, what? is there something I'm missing here? Lieutenant Dan <laughs> gets a special treatment Yeah. Uh, from my sponsor. Allows me to come. I should come more often. I was like, well, that's just favoritism. It is. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Well, we're on two hours. All righty. Oh, really? Really. I didn't know I can talk for that long. Yeah. Yeah, you can. <laughs> um, so what I like to do, I say concluders. You got any concluders, any final thoughts, something you might want to say to a newcomer or some general, something you want to say, something inspiring, something? 
<laughs> oh well, let's not get too ambitious. Uh... Um, I don't know. I'm just glad. I'm just glad for all the events that led me to to Christopher's class. I remember getting that booklet like, we'll put her in Christopher, Chris's class. And I didn't know what that meant, but it opened, it was like a portal to this mm. new life, that red folder. It was like this portal. This, it's, it's a whole other world. I remember I said, I was, I say this one time, I was like, if I had gone through life the way I was going through life and then died and then at the end meet God and find out there was this, option here there's something i would have been pissed off like why didn't you? you but then i also remember complaining to my one of my sponsors like why did i have to go through all this just to to discover this new life you know but i'll take it i'll take it it's it's been amazing and and it just gets better. Like, I remember complaining, you know, in class, like, oh, this is happening. And Christopher will be like, you know, just give it till Friday. You won't be feeling the same way you're feeling. And it's true every Friday. And I kept doing that in my head. Like, I was like, okay, it's today. It's, it's Wednesday. By Friday, I'll be feeling. And, but, uh, you know, in the bigger picture, it just keeps getting better. And it's just been 18 months. But my life is so much better than it ever was. I wanted to, I used to say in my adulthood, but it's in my entire life. Even as a kid, this is the best, this past year and a half is the best life I've had since I was a child. And I then, agree. you know, I it, we read the book and it says, it only gets better. Like, if it gets better than this, I am excited. I, I The most satisfying years of your life I'm lie ahead, it says. I am giddy like i am like, like i want this series i want to see this series coming i mean given life you know it's not always going to be just you know but i feel like I'm, I'm equipped and i still you know get equipped to deal with life as it comes i'm learning how to deal with life as it comes my way and mm-hmm. and one of the biggest gifts i've had in my life is just hope i've always been even despite the drinking i always hoped my life would be better. I'm always hopeful. I'm always curious about, you know, about the future. I just hope, like, one of the things I say, I, I, I'm not suicidal because I'm curious. I'm too curious about the future. And one thing my mom always used to say is, nothing lasts forever. So if nothing lasts forever, I want to see what direction it goes. So I'm hopeful and I'm just so glad for this and... And just the open-mindedness and I don't know if it's the open-mindedness or it's just whatever whatever played into me being an alcoholic and um, ending up here I'm I'm grateful I'm glad and I'm grateful for you and for everybody else that's in my life and for the person that I am today yeah I am grateful for that person, too. Yeah. <laughs> You've come a long way. A really, really long way. Just, just In me, a short this, amount just, of time. These past two hours. Oh, my God. And, uh, and, it's, and as my sponsor would tell me, buckle up because it only gets better. And that has been the deal. And it's like having, uh, 
you know, the little visual I get is that uh, coming around the living room from the bedroom hallway and peeking around the corner at the Christmas tree, you know, I can have that every day today. Uh, what gifts are waiting around the corner? And you're right, it ain't all, it's not going to be all unicorns and rainbow farts. Rainbow farts and unicorns. Okay. Unicorns, farts, and rainbows. Okay. It's not going to be all that. Uh, there's going to be tough times, but with these tools, we get to do that. And most importantly, above everything else, is uh, I no longer have to do anything alone ever again. I have people by my side that are going to support me through whatever I happen to be going through. And that most powerful word at the beginning of these steps that says we admitted that we will carry us through anything we need to be carried through. No limitations. Limitless. I guess the other thing you can say is, you know, when I first came to A, I kept hearing this we, this we, and I was like, well... How am I ever going to have this we? Because people just keep talking to the people they know. I don't feel like a part of it. But, you know, you just keep doing the work and things just happen. And now I actually do feel like part of a we, you know. There are people who will just text me out of nowhere. Work, working these steps puts you in the we for sure. Mm -hmm. As we spoke the other night, there's two fellowships. One fellowship is the fellowship, and you are a member if you say you are. The other membership is the, or the other fellowship is the fellowship of the spirit, and those are the people who have done the work and are walking the walk. And that we uh, is the group to be with. Yeah. I am glad you're one of them. I am said, when I uh, when I start sponsoring somebody, I tell them I'm not just sponsoring you to get through these steps. I'm sponsoring you because I need another battle buddy to do this thing called life with. I asked me the other day about why I don't ever have a burning desire. Biggest reason I don't have burning desires at meetings is I talk to a whole lot of people every day and my stuff gets diffused. If I've got something, it's getting handled way before meeting time. Uh, rarely do I walk into a meeting. It had to happen between like 6 and 7.30 for it to be a burning desire for me because I'm talking to somebody and getting it diffused and it's not a problem once I allow other people into my life. You're saying that too. I got to put myself out there so that I got to put myself out there so they so other people will also put themselves in here. Mm -hmm. And uh, once we once we start doing that in a regular, it's it's uh it, it, it operates exponentially, and we just end up with this. You know, the amount of friends, true friends I have today is unreal. Simply unreal. I'd be doing a. I don't want any old friends listening thinking that I'm talking bad about them. I'm not at all. Uh, but I frankly didn't know how to have a friend until I got here. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to be your friend. I didn't know how to let you be my friend. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I have true friendship and true love between my brothers and sisters today. And it's a beautiful thing. It is. We'll close it. Close it the same way every time. If you're not having a blast in your recovery, it's your own damn fault. And I just want to thank everyone out there for allowing Esther and I to participate in our recoveries in this manner today. If it just touches one person, we've done our job tonight. Peace out. <laughs>